Welcome to the Denver Community Church Teaching Podcast. Whether you attend our 10 a.m. gathering on Sundays here in Denver, are just checking us out, or listen every week from far away, our hope is that by engaging with Scripture, together we can explore and participate in the life of Jesus so that we can be a healing presence in our world. As you listen to this teaching, allow it to begin a conversation between you and God, you and the Bible, and you and your community. If you have any questions about DCC or this teaching, you can email us at info at denverchurch.org. To get connected or find out more about what's going on in and around our community, you can visit our website at denverchurch.org or download our app by searching Denver Community Church in the App Store. And if you want to financially support the healing work we are doing as we invest in our community while setting aside 20% of every dollar given to support our partners locally and around the globe, you can text the words Denver Church to 77977. That's Denver Church to 77977. Know that spaces like ours can only exist through the radical generosity of those who call DCC home. Thank you for being here. Let's get to the teaching. Thank you. Thank you. It is a great joy to get to be with you all this morning, DCC. I was here um, just a couple months ago. I was here in June, and I had just graduated seminary the day before joining you all. I don't think I shared this part, but that same week, um, just before coming here, I sold my house in the Chicagoland area. I packed everything I owned up into pods with the plan of spending the summer with my two kids. Uh, I have a 14-year-old daughter and a nine-year-old son, and the plan was for us to spend the summer doing some traveling and trying to discern where we were gonna move to. So it has been like a wild, wild west summer for us. I have basically <clears throat> been living out of a suitcase since I saw you last, and so I thought, full disclosure, you should know how nuts I am. Like, before we dive into you taking anything spiritually from me or from my journey, I just wanted to give you the heads up up front. Uh, But it's been uh, interesting in this recent move, just one of the things that I realized was how much I do just sort of on autopilot. Do you think about this? Like how much I know the route to the grocery store or I'm one of those people that loses everything if I don't put it back where it belongs. Maybe you're married to somebody like this and you can never find your car keys because they never put them back in the same place. But I have to have all of these sort of systems and rhythms to do my life in the ways that I'm accustomed to doing. And living out of a suitcase for months and being in cities that I was unfamiliar with has caused me to just reflect on how much I do things in autopilot. I found myself annoyed with myself that I need a GPS to get anywhere that I wanna go, uh, that I have to plan and pack and gather the things that I'm gonna need for that journey. There's so much to keep up with You know this, right? When you're like on vacation or you take a trip, there's just so much to keep up with and nothing is in its place and nothing is where it belongs. And I have just realized how much I sort of function in autopilot. Have you thought about this in your own life? Just the rhythms and and habits and things that maybe you take for granted until you're removed from being able to participate in those. Uh, I read a study recently that 70 to 80% of Americans are operating in adrenal fatigue. Like there's just too much happening, they're too overwhelmed to stay present in their life, and so they're disassociated, they're on autopilot. Many of us, because of this type of stuff, we end up just sort of sleepwalking or autopiloting our way through our lives, right? 
And our text today, as we mentioned earlier, is on prayer, and it comes from Luke, a writer from the New Testament who gives us an account of the life and ministry of Jesus. And it's a particular text about a particular prayer, and I wonder how many of us can resonate with getting into sort of autopilot when it comes to prayer? In the faith tradition that I was raised in, people would say something like, how is your prayer life? As if your prayer life was like separate from your real actual life. And, and prayer was sort of a discipline or a behavior or a checkbox. And I always felt like I felt short in this area. And I just wonder what comes to mind for you when you think about prayer. Uh, is it excitement? Maybe you have a real connection and that's a spiritual pathway for you to connect with God. Uh, is it excitement? Is it boring? Do you just think of silence when you think of prayer? Maybe like me, perhaps you find prayer to be a bit confusing at times. Is prayer enriching for you? Is prayer empowering for you? I confess to you right up front that I've been on my own sort of journey of exploring what I think and what I believe about the practice of prayer. I was taught early on that prayer was just some version of confession, repentance, adoration, and petition. There was very little personal about it, and what I have come to question about prayer on the days that I believe in it is, is God really listening? to me, or what I mean when I advocate for action beyond just thoughts and prayers from Christians, right? This is something we love to say, thoughts and prayers, but how do we pray with our feet while we long to see redemption and restoration in the face of grave injustices that we experience in this world? And there are certainly times I don't have the words to pray, and so sometimes I meditate or I love to take walks and try to spend time with God. Sometimes I turn to ancient prayers or liturgy, and yes, at times even what is called the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer, it's an act of me attempting to move towards the divine but I've struggled in prayer over the last few years. Uh, I, I've struggled at the devastation that we've experienced in our world. I have struggled with devastation I've experienced in my own life. And there were times that there was nothing more than groans I could offer when I no longer had words, much less even knew what to ask for in prayer. See, for me, when I traded this spiritual prosperity gospel of my conservative faith tradition that I grew up in, that unintentionally suggested if I just believed right and acted right, that things would go right. And then I ended up navigating my own sort of shattering in my life, and that formula fell short. And it's caused me to wrestle with what I even believe about God's sovereignty. Does God cause bad things to happen in our lives? Does God allow bad things to happen in our lives? Do our prayers have the power to shape the will of God? I actually think there's an interesting case to be made for that, that they do. There's a womanist reading of the Syrophoenician woman, a black woman who talks back to Jesus and changes the very mind of the divine. There's a great case for this, but I also wrestle with why pray. Does it shape God? Does it shape me? Does it shape my imagination? Does it shape the very trajectory of the things in the world around me? 
And yet every time I wrestle through these ideas, I I have to recognize that there are things in my own life that I have had the audacity to pray for and have seen come to fruition in my life. Wild things, healing things, not to mention there's passage after passage in the text that would suggest the very same that we are to seek and ask and believe and trust. And so from my own experience and the experiences of others, I wanna suggest that there's something worth engaging here, that there's something worth exploring. The text from Luke 11 says this, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. One of Jesus' disciples here is making an interesting request. Teach us how to pray. What's wildly interesting to me about this is the idea that these were Jewish students from the north of Israel. These were disciples that would have more than been familiar with the prayers of their faith tradition. They would have been more than familiar with praying the Psalms or the traditional blessings over food, the morning prayers and the evening prayers. It's possible for them that they would have been a bit on autopilot or that these words could have sort of become rote for them. I don't know if this is the same for you, but for a long time when I was growing up, I imagined that the people in the stories of the Bible were like super spiritual. Like that's why their stories were featured, right? Because they had it all figured out. And I often felt like I fell short of the bar of these super spiritual people that we got to read about. And it wasn't until I grew up and started studying them that I realized this is my favorite part of the Bible. It doesn't leave the stories of falling short out of it, right? It, it's a sharing the triumphs and the journey and the failures and the learning as these people question and shape their faith. And we also know about their tradition in the time of Jesus that they promoted personal prayer as well. It seems that they would have known how to pray, but something in their experience causes the disciples to think otherwise. Something about seeing the way that Jesus prayed caused them to rethink whether or not they knew how to pray. And perhaps it was due to what had occurred just before this interaction with the disciple and Jesus. See, the preceding few chapters of Luke's gospel detail a litany of experiences of Jesus that I would imagine would have shaken the minds and hearts of these disciples. They're witnessing miracles and healings. They're experiencing Jesus challenge the religious leaders in front of them. People outside of their faith tradition are coming to follow Jesus. They were witnessing firsthand these kingdom inbreakings happening in cities all over. Here is Jesus forgiving sins and healing sickness and teaching them about enemy love. He's raising people from the dead. He's calming storms, he's releasing demons, and he's just made this declaration to his disciples that he's gonna send them out to go do the very same thing. I think I would be like, Jesus, teach me how to pray. And here in the middle of all of that activity, 
Luke tells us that one day Jesus is praying in a certain place. It was only when he finished that his disciple asked him, teach me how to pray. And it causes one to wonder what did these disciples see and experience in Jesus' life, in Jesus' ministry, in Jesus' prayer that would have led them to make this request. It's possible that we can know based on the words of Jesus that follow after this, the the training that he provides for them for how to pray as he prays. So let's dive in and break down this prayer together a bit. Uh, It's interesting that Jesus gives them an answer, and in the answer, he gives them sort of a formula for how to pray. But it's a formula I think we'll find has a powerful thread with the implications that go throughout it. Luke 11:1. 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Father. That's where it starts. And depending on your experience of your own father, this very opener could conjure up some big feelings for you. Perhaps it's deep gratitude of your own experience of your father, the warmth and the safety of an embrace from your father. Or maybe it makes you bristle to even hear that opening line because you didn't know your father or you imagine your life may have been better off had you not. Or you wish that your father would have done healing work with his own father and not passed around generational trauma. Or maybe like someone I love deeply, you lost your father recently and just hearing that opener brings up grief. Whatever feeling or whatever longing comes up in you at that opening line, I wanna invite you to just be with it for just a moment. To simply name it. What comes up in you when you hear father? Allow yourself to feel that, to be with it for a moment, to catch your breath for a moment. And then I wanna invite you to imagine the tenderness and the safety that it was intended to communicate. Whether that's because it matches your experience of those things in your own father, or because there's a gap there and that void in your life when it comes to the fathering you never received, the the fathering that you longed for for your whole life, that's the very beginning of this prayer. It's acknowledging father, which also acknowledges you as the divine image bearer as a chosen son or daughter, or maybe you don't identify as either of those, and being called a child of God is the very thing that identifies you as a child, as a beloved child of God. The beginning of this prayer is an acknowledgement that you are not alone in this world, that you aren't forgotten, that you are a beloved child of the Most High God, loved by the beloved, chosen by the Creator. That is where this prayer starts. One of my favorite authors says in his book, Life of the Beloved, Henry Nouwen says, we have to dare to reclaim the truth that we are God's chosen ones, even when our world does not choose us. As long as we allow our parents, siblings, teachers, friends, and lovers to determine whether or not we are chosen, we're caught in a net of of a suffocating world that accepts or rejects us according to its own agenda or effectiveness 
and control. Often this reclaiming is an arduous task, a lifelong work, because the world persists in its efforts to pull us into the darkness of self-doubt, of low self-esteem, of self-rejection, of depression, maybe more than anything else that you take away from today. It's just an invitation to sit in that awareness of your belovedness. There's nothing that you need to do to earn or prove. There's nothing you could do to gain or lose divine love. You are already today right where you are wholly and deeply and fully loved as you are. It's a beautiful place to start this prayer. Right? What a way to start it. Uh, Father, the one who sees me, the one who knows me, one who loves me, one who chooses me, one who invites me, who desires my flourishing. Father, hallowed be your name. Holy be your name. Not the type of holier-than-thou, kind of up there, out of reach, inaccessible God, but God recognizes a a, a holier-than-thou God that is the loving mystery that holds it all together, The, the God of both the mystery and the mundane. The God over all of the parts of my life. The God who invites us into the grand story that is unfolding around us. And the God who enters into our very story. One of my favorite poets writes about this sort of holier-than-thou, beautiful God that enters into the story. This is what he has to say about prayer. He says, neither I nor the poets I love have found the keys to the kingdom of prayer and we cannot force God to stumble over us where we sit. But I know that it's a good idea to sit anyway. So every morning I kneel, waiting, making friends with the habit of listening, hoping that I'm being listened to. There I greet God in my own disorder. I say hello to my chaos, my unmade decisions, my unmade bed, my desire and my trouble. I say hello to distraction and privilege. I greet the day and I greet my beloved and bewildering Jesus. I recognize and greet my burdens, my luck, my controlled and uncontrollable story. I greet my untold stories, my unfolding story, my unloved body, my own body. I greet the things I think will happen and I say hello to everything I do not know about the day. I greet my own small world, and I hope that I can meet the bigger world that day. I greet my story, and I hope that I can forget my story during the day. I hope that I can hear some stories and greet some surprising stories during the long day ahead. I greet God. I greet the God who is more God than the God I greet. Hallowed be your name. You are holy over all. You are blessed and exalted. Your thoughts are higher than my ways, or thoughts are, your ways are higher than my ways, but you enter into my thoughts and my ways, my story and the mundane nature of my life, the God who invites us into the grand story and enters into our story. Holy, blessed, hallowed be your name. The next line, your kingdom come. Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. 
This line is both a beautiful invitation and a declaration for God's intentions in the world around us. See, see, in the creation story, at the very beginning of time, God's original intentions for this world were goodness and shalom. They were for justice and reciprocity and mutuality and flourishing. And when we look at the life and the teachings and the ministry of Jesus, we see this very same theme over and over again. Jesus says that he came to establish God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven on earth as it is in heaven. This isn't a kingdom of vengeance and violence. It's not a kingdom of war and force. It isn't a kingdom of occupying or controlling or conquering. It is this upside-down, subversive, bridge-building, redemption-believing, reconciliation-pursuing, justice-advocating, marginalized-prioritizing, stranger-welcoming, healing, activating, empowering, and restoring kingdom. It's the very work we saw Jesus accomplishing all throughout Luke's gospel leading up to this prayer training moment where healing and redemption and flourishing are breaking in all around. People are experiencing liberation from the things that have held them back from flourishing. This kingdom-expanding work invites our active participation and partnering with the Spirit of God to extend that kingdom. When we love our neighbors, when we love our enemies, when we seek to dismantle systems and structures of harm that hold our brothers and sisters back, when we pursue equitability and flourishing for all, when we pray and when we act, those things are a part of us seeing God's kingdom, the now and not yet of God's kingdom breaking into this world around us. This line is an invitation. It's an acknowledgement of the work that has started and it is a declaration of what will be. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Provide for me for what I need for today. Can you meet my immediate needs for the day? Lord, like you provided for the Israelites in the wilderness in that famous origin story of our faith, right? Manna, daily bread, it was precisely exactly what they needed, but only enough for the day. In this story, if they took more than they needed, it spoiled. And the disciples here that Jesus is speaking with, they are being trained to go live in interdependence with other followers. They're being invited to go live within the dependence on hospitality of hosts and strangers who would welcome them. Family, this one can be really tough for me. I am a survivor of trauma. I I like to be prepared. I have a safety plan and then I have a backup safety plan after that. I like to be ready. And one of the ways that I can satiate my own anxiety is to plan and prepare and make sure I always have enough. And oftentimes that means that I end up having way too much. This is a prayer to say, provide for us what we need for the day. Expand my trust to know that you will help me to see and to savor all of the ways that you meet my needs. Remove my own dependence on myself to provide. Grow my dependence on you each day, daily bread. 
And if that was hard, the next part of this prayer gets a little harder. If I'm honest with you, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. This one can feel challenging or perhaps where you sit today, impossible. Forgive us our sins. And here's the wild part about this. It says, as we forgive everyone who sins against us. Forgive us as we forgive others. To the extent to which, to the depth to, to the degree to which our willingness to forgive others reaches. That's what I want you to extend to me. Is it wrong to ask God for what we're unwilling to give others? Judaism recognizes this connection. Uh, Forgive your neighbor the wrong he has done, and when your sins will be pardoned when you pray. We are to model extending what it is that we're asking for. And I want to offer just a, a pastoral note here, because hear me, what I'm not saying is that you forgive someone and then always restore the relationship. I'm not saying that anyone here should tolerate abuse or patterns of harm in their relationships. Forgiveness and boundaries can be a very powerful force. Forgiveness and letting someone else off the hook, even if they don't get to be put in a position to hurt you again, can be powerful and healing, and it can release you and the person who's harmed you. I don't want to suggest that this is easy work, but it is effective work and it is necessary for us to live the kind of life that God offers to us. God, would you offer that to us? Would you extend that kindness and that mercy, that costly sacrificial forgiveness that allows us to take our own selves off the hook and to start again and to try again and to get up again? God, would you remove the things, the the shame or the guilt or the weight that would hold us back or drag us down? Forgive our sins, but we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And then finally, maybe the most obscure line of this prayer. What a bizarre line. Lead us not into temptation. Have you thought about what that means? This line has been confounding. Uh, Even the earliest followers, even the church mothers and fathers have wrestled with, what does this even mean? Lead us not into temptation. And I just want to propose to you this morning the ways that I'm thinking about this these days. Uh, Lead us not into the temptation to hide, to numb, to distract, to deviate from the fullness of the life that you offer us. Lead us not into the temptation to satisfy or satiate the longings deep inside of us for the love and the full belonging the divine offers us and one another. Let us not water down or dilute the deeply rooted longings for the things of God's kingdom. Let us not settle for counterfeits, for healing and redemption, for the flourishing of the whole collective. Lead us not into temptation to settle for anything less than the life that you long for us, of mutuality and goodness, of generosity and reciprocity. Lead us not into temptation to trade out our true and authentic belonging for being anything less than our full, whole selves. Because that's what you desire for us and that's what the world needs from us. 
Lead us not into temptation to hide our wounds, to cover over our regrets, to dismiss our needs, to diminish our failures, to not take hold of our hopes. Rather, meet us in those things and allow our scars to show others that we know a healer. What a raw and intimate and vulnerable thing to share with anyone. Can you imagine that sense of connectedness with the divine? My dear friend Mallory uh, is an author and a teacher and a spiritual director, and we were just having a conversation a couple weeks ago about sort of the thread that ties all of her work together. I was helping her do some like life planning and strategic planning, and I was asking her, what about all of those things? Do you love or, or give you life or do you enjoy? And she said, I think the thing for me, the favorite thing is that moment when I get to see someone come out from behind themselves. What if we were people who could come out from behind ourselves, our our posturing or performing, our adaptive patterns of trying to learn how to earn, earn or prove our worth or our value? What if we could come out from behind our false selves and become our wholest, fullest, most truest versions of ourselves and offer that sort of connection to ourself, that connection to God, that connection to one another, and that sort of connection to the world? I want to suggest for us this morning that perhaps prayer is the very place that that starts, the place that we can begin to come out from behind ourselves. Where else and with whom else can we be that vulnerable? Can we come out from behind ourselves? The extent to which we're able to do that with our very selves and with the divine could very well be the extent to which we're able to do that with one another. And I'm convinced these days that the extent that we're able to receive and experience love is dependent on that level of connection with ourselves and with God. Jesus' prayer here is an intimate prayer that looks to God and the kingdom for the present, for that daily bread, for the past, forgive us, and toward the future, lead us not into temptation. Whether we understand exactly why the request was made of those disciples, like the disciples, we can learn this very simple prayer that covers all areas of our lives. It begins with the truest, fullest belonging to the Father. It honors God's holiness and reverence even and especially in our very mundane, everyday, ordinary lives. It covers our regrets of the past, our immediate needs of the day, our hopes for the future. It places all of those things in the hands of a God who listens. Jacqueline Grant, a theologian and minister, says prayer is a bridge that connects our everyday experiences to the divine reality that infuses them with meaning and purpose. Prayer is the bridge that connects our everyday experiences to the divine reality that infuses them with meaning and purpose. Prayer is an invitation to a practice for us to reorient And years ago, I was being intentional about trying to reorient some things in my life. I was doing some really intense therapy work. I was doing some trauma work. You know, we can actually rewire the neural pathways in our brain when we are aware of the the patterns of how we think, when we're aware of the patterns of how we behave. And so I made this decision that I was just going to drive a different path to work every day. 
instead of sort of that same old route that I could just zone out and tune out and turn music up really loud in my car and not pay attention or be present to the moment, I actually found three different paths and decided I was going to drive these different paths to work because as I was trying to break some patterns in my thought life and in my real actual life, I wanted to do something with my body that reflected what I was trying to do with my mind. So rather than choose the autopilot path, I would take the path that required me to think and to pay attention, and I would pray along the way. I would pray with compassion for those parts of my life that survived for so long, that created those old adaptive patterns. I would pray with hope for what I long to replace those things with. I would pray with gratitude that it's possible to transform even the most difficult things in our lives. And sometimes I would pray with sheer desperation for just signs of life and healing. And I want to invite you this morning to consider a a pattern that could help you reorient in those same ways. I actually want to ask you this week to consider taking this prayer from Luke 11 and simply praying it every morning. We're going to pray it together here in just a moment to conclude our time. But maybe you go home today and you write it out on a post-it note. Maybe it's been a long time since you've talked to God. Or maybe you're like, Carrie, this is going backwards. This is really elementary for me in my prayer life. But I just want to ask you to consider it. Put it on your phone screensaver. And before you open Instagram or your email, before your feet hit the floor, would you consider praying the Lord's Prayer, the the Disciples' Prayer, and just see what happens as you reorient this pattern of prayer in your life. I'm gonna do it with you, so from afar I'll be joining you in this reorientation. But to close our time together now, would you pray with me the Lord's Prayer, the Disciples' Prayer together? And when we're done, I'll say amen. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Amen. Thanks for engaging our teaching with us as we continue to explore and participate in the life of Jesus so that we can be a healing presence in the world. Before you go, we wanted to highlight a few things going on in the life of our community. This fall, join us for Peacemaking Pathway as we explore our spiritual story alongside one another and discover how our own journey intersects with the bigger story of God's work in our world. Over eight weeks of larger group teachings and smaller group contexts, we will explore how we can deepen spiritual practices, discern our calling, and grow as everyday peacemakers. Learn more and sign up at denverchurch.org. To stay connected with all that is happening in the life of our community, we encourage you to sign up for our weekly email or download our DCC app. Again, thank you for joining us on our podcast today. It is always great to be together.